Hello and welcome back to the Quacked Out Pod. I am Charlie, joined by Reed, as always. Um, we are going to do some wrap-up of the Wazoo game, go a little bit around the Pac-12, talk some Stanford week, which as we know can be quite cursed. But Reed, uh, you just started your own Substack. Tell us about that. Yeah, I decided to, to try my hand at Substack, doing the independent thing and branching into more Pac-12 coverage. So yeah, right now the plan is is to release a once a week, kind of longer form preview, uh, explore kind of what style I want to write in a little more. Um, and so the first one of that series is up. Uh, it's it's going to be weekly on my pick for kind of the best game of the Pac-12. It started mostly uh, in the past couple weeks, I guess I thought that, you know, that Oregon-BYU game and that Washington-Michigan State game were both really interesting games. Uh, and then especially last week, uh, USC traveling to Oregon State was a game that I felt like just wasn't getting its due in terms of national attention and coverage. Uh, and so I thought it would be fun to start this series uh, where I kind of dive into, you know, the best matchup from the Pac-12, sort of a game day style uh, selection of, of what's most intriguing for whatever reason uh, and do a longer form piece on it. So you can find that at readtingly.substack.com. Uh, I'm still kind of working out the kinks there and trying to figure out a, a better name for the newsletter and seeing where this thing goes. But uh, my first piece is up and it was a lot of fun to write. So I hope you guys check it out. Yeah, I would highly recommend it. Uh, it this is a super deep preview on UCL, or, sorry, Washington at UCLA coming up this Friday, which we will eventually talk about. That's a great game coming up. Um, but yeah, a lot of interesting, that's a lot of great perspective in there. Um, and yeah, you, you should definitely check that out. Um, as it pertains to this podcast, uh, we have some wrap up to do on the Wazoo game. As I mentioned, um, let's just dive into that right now, Reed. Um, what are some things maybe on a rewatch, maybe just in thinking about the game since then, uh, that you come away with other than, you know, what we beat to death on the, the very long post game we did? Also, sorry if you can hear my dog barking. She's very loud. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is just how important it was to come away with a win. That stood out to me more and more, you know, as the days have gone by and in remembering past Pac-12 games that went the other way for Oregon. Um, this is shaping up to be a really competitive race for those two spots in the conference title game, regardless of division. Uh, and so that win is, is going to mean a lot for Oregon. Uh, it's also going to keep Oregon up in the polls. And again, going into more macro about this season, uh, it just stands out to me that I really believe Washington State's the best team Oregon's going to face until November, mid-November, really, in those last three that we've been talking about so much. Um, in terms of the game, I think Oregon took a good shot from Washington State. Uh, there were some things they definitely did to allow Washington State to play up to their best, specifically to allow Cam Ward to play up to his, you know, close to his ceiling um, and obviously not executing in the red zone uh, and even throwing that pick six that, that obviously was essentially giving up 14 points there. But despite all that, uh, similar to what we said a lot of times last year, I mean, the yard, the disparity in yardage gained 
is certainly encouraging for Oregon. Uh, the talent shows up there, you know, and I, I think as well, uh, just the confidence that we can have in Bo Nix coming out of this game in terms of his ability to respond to that adversity uh, and to come out with a win is huge. Um, so going forward, it, it feels to me like Oregon passed one of the four biggest tests that was left on the schedule uh, and has some time to develop and hopefully look like a different team coming into that really hard stretch at the end of November. Yeah, I agree. Um, and we emphasize that uh, on our post game for sure. Like you only get so many chances in college football to prove that your team is actually good. Um, and so being able to escape with a win, cause that is really what it felt like. Uh, it was pretty insane. I mean, we mentioned some of the probabilities that were getting thrown out um, during the game. It's something Oregon at one point faced like a 0.2% chance to actually win the game in the fourth quarter. Um, so to have a comeback, comeback like that is pretty important. Um, the rest of the Pac-12 is something I've really been... I've been thinking less about that game because it was just so crazy and so many random things happened that... I mean, I don't know how much you can actually derive from it. Um, I mean, when you have things like two pick sixes in one game, you know, that skews a lot of what happens. Um, and then in, in our post game, we went through the entire game. Uh, so go back and listen to that if you haven't yet. Um, and we talked about what is relevant that we can pull out of it. Um, but I've been thinking mostly about the rest of the Pac-12. I mean, there's legitimately six, maybe even seven teams that right now look like they have a shot at this conference title. Mm -hmm. I mean, even last year at this time, we were still talking about that number being like three, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I'm really excited just to see the rest of this Pac-12 slate. I mean, we have an undefeated matchup this Friday night. Um, granted, I, I think there are things to say about both of these teams that might mitigate their 4-0 records thus far. But regardless, I mean, the fact that the Pac-12 can have this kind of showcase and actually be hopefully be proud of the product they put on TV um, this Friday night is is pretty impressive. Um, and, I mean, we got matchups like Utah-Oregon State as well this weekend. Um, I think it's going to be a really exciting year for Pac-12 football in general. Like, in past years, I felt like watching the Pac-12 was kind of a chore. You know, I'd always want to watch other games, and it's like, okay, fine, I guess I'll watch this Pac-12 game if nothing else is on. Um, but this year I've actually been seeking out and – being excited to watch just random Pac-12 games. So, um, yeah, it makes me that much more disappointed that obviously this conference is on the brink of coming to an end. I don't know if you caught Dennis Dodd's report um, earlier today about continuing, you know, es escalating talks between Oregon and Washington uh, and the Big Ten. Mm -hmm. I, you know, we'll see how that unravels and, and we don't need to get into that minutia here necessarily, but it's certainly on my mind that we talked about, you know, USC already has their ticket punch to the big 10 and that was potentially the last trip to, um, Corvallis that they'll ever make, mm -hmm. or at least in the near future, the same could go for Oregon and, you know, the trip to Pullman. This might be the last time Oregon goes to Washington State for a very long time, uh, if if they are in another conference come twenty twenty four. 
Uh, and that's going to be true of, of things down the line. I mean, Stanford's a potential partner, um, but all this stuff in, in going to the Big Ten, um, but all this stuff is so uncertain. It, who knows necessarily what the landscape of the sport's going to look like in two years and if Oregon will have a home game against Stanford on the slate come 2024. Uh, so I think that adds a little extra uh, intrigue in some ways to this season, but also uh, it's definitely bittersweet in that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I don't want to have a whole expansion discussion right now or re- uh, realignment discussion, but I do want to ask you a very straightforward one-liner answer question. Um, would Are you in favor of the Ducks going to the Big Ten or staying in the Pac-12? I think for what's best for Oregon, I'm in favor of them leaving. Uh, in terms of, you know, if I was the commissioner of the sport and I could have it my way, like I enjoy watching the product that is Pac-12 football. Uh, I've enjoyed growing up with it. I'd like it to continue in an ideal world. But as people know, because of the revenue gap and the TV dollars, for Oregon to continue to compete on the highest stage of this sport, I think... Uh, going to the Big Ten is is what you have to do. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just ask that because I think about what our friend, our UCLA friend Carlos said regarding UCLA going, and he's like, I don't understand why these fans are happy. Like, It's not like the fans are getting any money from this deal. Um, and that kind of stuck with me a little bit. But I do agree. I mean, in order to compete at the top, we probably have to jump ship. Unless there's some sort of some sort of uneven revenue split that's going to go on in the Pac-12, which would be my personal, you know, uh, ideal solution, but I, I understand that's not necessarily realistic. So, anyways, we're in week five. We're not going to spend any more time talking about potential realignment stuff. Um, any other loose ends you want to tie up about Wazoo before we move on? Uh, I will give a shout out to to Krapia. He had a um phrase he used to describe this game or or title his podcast about hidden plays and i think that was a really accurate term for what this game turned into and i hope Mm -hmm. that the way that we structure our reviews of games and going back through that play chart kind of helped to illuminate some of those hidden plays that uh kind of got lost in all the different things that happened in that wazoo game uh but i thought that was a cool way to to show just kind of how many things happened and it was even more clear as we went through our our recap uh whether it was you know bucky's catch on fourth down or that pass breakup from bennett williams um or triquez bridges interception all these different things you know seemed to swing the momentum for a time uh but you know we're lost in how the game finished uh and more so, I think that underlines just how important it is in a game like that where there's so many moving parts and switches of momentum uh, to come out with a win. And it's funny because when you first said that phrase, hidden plays, I thought it was going to be not about the big plays, but about all the small ones that we forgot throughout the course of the game. Like right. the, the ones that really add up in your yards per play column at the end of the game um, or total yards even. So... I mean, you can take it both ways in that sense, right? There were a lot of there was a lot of really good stuff to take out of it in that those big in between chunks for Oregon. Um, but if you don't execute in the red zone, they don't necessarily matter. Um, 
so I think this team learned a lot of good lessons from that game. Um, and I would like to yell at a cloud one last time and say that Cam Ward did not have to make any difficult throws in this game. Um, so yeah, I think everybody is still overreacting to his perceived good game. But I mean, scrambling doesn't always make you a good quarterback. It doesn't make you a good quarterback necessarily. Uh, and I, I even heard him mentioned in conjunction with like the NFL at one point this week. And I would just like to shut that down immediately. Um, not that my opinion matters, but I mean, it does to you if you're listening to this. So that's kind of cool, I guess. Cam Ward is not an NFL quarterback and he's <laughs> actually like, I think he's somewhat of a hindrance to what Wazoo wants to do on offense sometimes, but whatever. Um, yeah. we don't have to worry about Wazoo anymore, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> Yeah, but it's worth saying. I mean, he was close to close to losing them the Wisconsin game, uh, and at times it looked like he won them the Oregon game. But uh, at times, obviously, with the pick six at the end uh, and yeah. you know plays here and there, he also lost them the game. So I, I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. Um, all right, on to Stanford, man. Uh, we will have to talk about this game, unfortunately. Um, I just want to lead, lead off this preview segment with a stat from John Wilner. Obviously, he can be a polarizing Pac-12 media figure, but this is a really good stat he pulled. Uh, the Cardinal dropped its eighth consecutive conference game dating to the middle of last season, which their last conference win, of course, is against Oregon. Um, in that stretch, Stanford has been outscored by 155 points. 155 over eight games. That's, that's a lot. Uh, you also mentioned something uh before we started recording that was actually their last fbs win was against oregon on the farm uh not just their last conference win so um (laughs) like let's be honest here let's just get this part out of the way right on paper there is no reason stanford should be winning this game period um i don't feel like i should have to knock on wood or anything like that i mean I probably will once we're done recording, but um, it's kind of the same story as last year, right? Obviously a lot lower stakes for the Ducks in terms of national perception, but I mean, I think a lot of people around the country were ready to write the Ducks off already by the time that game rolled around. So it was kind of like a confirmation bias thing once Oregon did drop a game. Um, For Stanford, though, I mean, this is their everything, like it is every time they play us. Uh, Oregon fans know all too well the history between Oregon and Stanford. After the Ducks went on a one, two, three, eight game win streak in the early 2000s, uh, Stanford gets basically Stanford beat us three times in five years. And each of those times, there's an argument Oregon would have been in or adjacent to the national title game had they not. Um, so it's, it's a really consequential game. Or it was for about, you know, six, seven, eight years. Um, Obviously, the the Ducks got them a few times in some really important games, too. But uh, Stanford went on a little three-game win streak from 2016, 17, and 18. Ducks bounced back with a couple big wins. And then, obviously, last year's game is what it was. Um, Do you think, like, in context of last year's game, do you think this team is thinking about that at all? Even the guys who were all... I know it's a new coaching staff, so it probably doesn't matter as much to them, but do you think that's been something that's like talked about in the locker room or maybe even just felt amongst the guys, like a sort of sense of revenge? 
That's an interesting question. I would assume so. I mean, it was a, a very significant loss last season, a very significant <laughs> game um, that defined the narratives around Oregon uh, almost as much as the Ohio State game did, honestly, leading mm-hmm. into Utah. I think nationally those were the two results that everyone clung to um, for the first 10 weeks of the season. And that kind of black mark in this sport is something that you don't escape because there aren't that many games. Um, and even, you know, the other games that you do play, there's so many games on, on a given Saturday. If you're not playing a ranked team or you're not losing, uh, a lot of people don't really pay attention to it and it won't shape their perception. Even if you're beating a pretty good team by a lot, uh, or struggling with a pretty bad team, it mostly matters the result and your ranked wins. Uh, -hmm. and this was the only loss, uh, not against Utah in the regular season. It was a weird game, obviously. Um, as many of the Stanford games have tended to be, uh, this certainly fit the billing. I mean, it was a game that it looked like Oregon was definitely going to lose uh, and then came back and it looked like they had it won and were going to survive. And I mean, literally, we all remember the clock hitting zero with Oregon having a lead uh, and the pass interference call on McHale. I think that some of the things that happened to that Oregon team, especially with the Oregon offense, Uh, I feel confident that this group will not repeat. Um, I, I just don't that the, the incompetence, it just was a classic symptom of the Mario Cristobal offense. And I think this was the game that Joe Moore had missed, uh, as offensive Mm -hmm. coordinator as well due to illness, which, yeah, I, I mean, it was just that type of game. If you watch the Miami middle Tennessee game, uh, this past weekend, like you, or if you obviously watched, you know, the, all the years that Mario was the head coach here, you're familiar with this type of, uh, offensive yardage, not translating to points and uh, just falling in a rut of a lack of creativity offensively and a lack of production. Uh, and, finding yourself in the third quarter with single digit points against not good teams. Um, But again, this Stanford team is bad. If people have any question about that, the stat that you laid out, I mean, they haven't won a game since Oregon. That wasn't uh, an FCS opponent. The Colgate uh, win to start this game is the only game they've won Uh, or to start the season is the only game they've won. So this Stanford team is not good. Maybe they're a hair above Colorado and Arizona State at the bottom of this conference. Uh, But they pretty clearly, you know, I think they're of that three-team tier that you shouldn't really even consider uh, going bowling. And that's especially true after they just lost their lead running back, EJ Smith, who's probably their best player, uh, almost definitely their best player on offense for the season. Um, That's a huge loss for them. Uh, And Tanner McKee, the quarterback, has been mediocre. I mean, he's the type of guy who, from a frame perspective, and, you know, people love quarterbacks who are 
you know, supposed to be intelligent and obviously being at Stanford, you know, presents as that. Um, but he's looked like a middle level Pac-12 quarterback, um, not the type of dynamic uh, player there that I think can transform the outcome of this game. Uh, in terms of the receivers, you know, I think guys like Michael Wilson uh, has had a productive season so far. I mean, they have some bigger guys, taller receivers, and that has the potential to give cornerbacks not named Chris, Christian Gonzalez some trouble, but it shouldn't be anywhere near the type of threat that makes this game uh, close down the stretch. So, you know, I would, I would love to agree with you. I do agree with you in that Stanford are pretty solidly, by all opinions <clears throat> around the conference, the third worst team in the Pac-12 right now. Um, that's, that's not really up for debate. Um, the problem is this, no matter how bad they are every season when they play Oregon, it just doesn't seem to matter. Um, now, you mentioned, like, the... The problem I have with this game is just like any other Stanford game, their strength lies with their quarterback in Tanner McKee in the pass game. Um, and, you know, they have big receivers. They will try to score on you in the red zone by just throwing it up to them. Um, and they always find a way to make weird crap happen uh, in this game, in this matchup every year. Now, I like we wouldn't even be mentioning this kind of stuff if this was against like an opponent who Oregon regularly beats. Um, but there's just something about the pesky Cardinal that always seem to give Oregon its hardest game of the season. Um, so I don't know. Caillou Blue Kelly is somebody to watch, but again, Oregon has enough weapons on off. He's their senior corner, by the way. Um, but Oregon has enough weapons on offense to where that shouldn't necessarily matter. Um, I mean, Elijah Higgins is a good wide receiver for them. Like, uh, I'm just struggling to find ways where they would really, really have like a defined strength over Oregon other than that pass game, uh, which again, Christian Gonzalez, like I trust him to do his job. Oregon got stops when they really, really needed them last game. That gives me some confidence, but overall, I mean, this has not been a great Oregon defense this season. Um, and I think that's kind of overshad been overshadowed by how amazing the offense is. Uh, and we saw the defense step up with a couple big plays in the BYU game, obviously a couple more in the Wazoo game. But um, still, I think it's definitely a, a spot we should keep our eyes on. I'm not super confident um, in this defense's ability to, to stop Stanford consistently. They even moved the ball decently well against uh, Washington, but... I don't know. I guess I'm just talking myself into this game probably being closer than it will be. Um, in general, I I don't know. Like, what's Stanford's point total looking at in this game from your perspective? Like, what would be a successful defensive outing in terms of, like, points conceded in this game? I think that under 20 would be successful um, okay. in my mind. I think the defense has been an interesting question so far. I mean, obviously Georgia completely dominated that game. Um, mm -hmm. and we all can admit and concede that. 
Uh, I think that the BYU game was a really successful performance defensively. Uh, that that 20 points at the end, you know, a lot of it came in garbage time and on short fields. Uh, uh, you know, two of the touchdowns did. And, and um, so that was a huge win going into that game uh, for the defense to show up like that at home. Uh, and maybe being at home could help them again in this game. Uh, in terms of the Wazoo performance, though, there were legitimate issues there. Uh, just an inability to get them off the field, um, inability to actually bring the quarterback down, to tackle um, on the edges, and to limit that quick passing game uh, that that Wazoo is so potent at. Um, but that said, I mean, I think the 41 is, is a bit inflated too. We know one is that kind of bobbled, you know, hell Mary play at the end of it. And the other was a pick (laughs) six. Uh, So if you take those out, it's, it's 27 points and that's not a good defensive showing. Um, but that's not, uh, you know, Swiss cheese defense either. Um, they're, they're putting some things together, and I think that the hope for me is that uh, this defense is is in a lot better form by the time they face the really good offenses at the back half of their schedule. If Oregon was to line up against Washington, uh, you know, tomorrow on or on Saturday, I would feel um, like Washington was going to put up five touchdowns, six touchdowns, I, you know, f- more than 40 points wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for me. I don't know what you would say about that game. Um, I think, you know, maybe the, the mean there is around 30 points for Washington's offense, but uh, that's probably not where you want to live if you're Oregon. Uh, so the hope is that you can improve going forward. And the good news is, you know, Stanford has some some pieces of this attack that are competent. Their quarterback's competent, certainly, and they have some big wide receivers who can pose problems. Uh, but I think using losing EJ Smith, who is kind of the engine of that offense, is a huge blow to their ability to consistently move the ball against Oregon and threaten them. Uh, and it makes me think like, you know, their script for a competitive game would have to look a lot like it did last year. And, you know, knock on wood, but the way this offense looks, I don't think that they're going to go into the second half uh, only having seven points. Now, you know, last weekend they had nine against Wazoo, uh, but I would counter that with saying that, you know, that nine points was the absolute floor uh, for what Oregon could have scored in that half. And it took a few big breaks uh, for that to go, for that total to stay at nine last weekend. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I think the key for Oregon winning this game is doing what they do best. Um, and that's honestly been running the ball. Uh, I know the passing offense has made some big plays in crunch time uh, in that Wazoo game, especially. Um, and Bo Nix has improved or nearly improved every single week. He's been great since week one is really what I'm trying to say. Um, and there's not a huge sample size of Stanford right now, which is kind of a lot of the problem 
with previewing this game. I mean, they've played three games and lost against USC and UW. They're only two actual teams they played. They beat Colgate in week one. Um, so, you know, keep that in mind when I say this, but Stanford hasn't been great at stopping the run so far this season. Uh, they rank, um, let's see, they rank around the middle of the pack in FBS in doing so. Oregon right now is doing really, really well um, when running the ball. Uh, right now they're they're staring down like a top five, honestly, like efficiency-wise. I'm seeing numbers where Oregon is a top five team on offense in the entire country. And a lot of that is due to the run game. We saw a two to one pass ratio, two to one run pass ratio against BYU. Obviously, we were forced to air it out a little bit more against Wazoo, but it, it still worked out even doing that. So honestly, I think Oregon's key to winning this game is just keeping Tanner McKee off the field. Um, build an early lead, lean on it. Don't let Stanford do any anything crazy, which I know is really easy to say and a lot harder to execute. But um, in general, I'm I'm excited for this game, but cautiously optimistic is how I think I'll label it on offense. I think you? that's yeah, I think that's a very fair uh, way to kind of frame this game. You always have to be worried about the Stanford game. Always, uh, I think last year was a huge testament to that. We went into that game kind of feeling similar to the way that I'm going into this one, thinking Oregon should be the better team. Um, and yet, you know, weird things happened, and Oregon had self-inflicted wounds, and Stanford capitalized. Um, and all of a sudden, it was like, oh my, how did we underestimate these guys again? You never want to fall mm-hmm. into that trap with Stanford, given the history. Um, yeah, and, and defensively for them, you're right uh, completely that, and that was the tale last year, that their run defense wasn't good, and that was frustrating early in last year's Oregon-Stanford game, that Oregon wasn't able to establish the ball. They let Anthony Brown make some key mistakes early in that game uh, and put themselves in a position where they had to execute at a higher level, and there was more pressure on the passing game than there ever needed to be. Um and Oregon, you know, ended up putting themselves back in a position to win it, but it was a lot more stressful than than it should have been. Uh, and still, the carpet got pulled out from them at the end. We've seen Stanford play two uh, pretty good teams to start this year. You know, Colgate not good, obviously, but Washington and USC uh, both ranked inside the top fifteen. Um, I think both those rankings, in my opinion, might be a little bit inflated right now based on who those teams have beaten so far um, Mm -hmm. and and how they've looked in some of those performances, especially with USC's game at Oregon state, but they're still both, you know, top 20 teams, probably top 25 teams, you know, genuinely uh, in the upper fourth uh, or better of this sport for sure. Um, So and, and Stanford's been somewhat competitive in those. I mean, against USC, the two turnovers at the goal line uh, made a difference in the game for sure early on. Uh, and they ended up coming back to kind of backdoor cover it uh, and lose by 13. And against Washington, 
it was a similar thing where that game was never really the result of that game was never really in doubt um but they came back late and, and put some points to make it look a little closer than it was uh, interestingly i think both those teams washington and usc are known for having particularly prolific uh passing games and they were successful in that regard stanford has a really good cornerback in caillou blue kelly but uh, I think maybe the rest of that passing defense isn't quite up to that level, obviously. Uh, and in both cases, Washington USC ran the ball for about five yards um, per rush on the ground. And I think based on what we've seen from Oregon so far, there's no reason to think Oregon can't meet or probably exceed that total by, by a decent measure. We also have to mention regarding the, the Stanford USC game, um, for the most, for the biggest plays in that game, uh, by EPA or win percentage, whichever metric you want to use, uh, were Stanford turnovers, <laughs> so or turnovers on downs. Um, so that did paint a lot of that game. I mean, we talked about how Stanford was able to move the ball pretty well against SC for a lot of that game, and gave up what was it four red zone turnovers, I believe, something like that. Um, so I mean. <laughs> Again, there's just not a lot of sample about Stanford. Um, they ran into a Washington team that everyone seems to think is legit so far this season. I want to amend your uh, comment about rankings a little bit real quick and just say that, like, I think this year it's so hard. It's much harder than usual to define overrated and underrated teams because there's such a big gap between the absolute top and everybody else. Uh, maybe even more so than in years past. Mm -hmm. I know we talk about this a lot, but I mean, there are three teams right now with a legit shot to win the national title. Um, maybe something can change and one of Georgia, Alabama or, or Ohio State doesn't end up winning it. But as of right now, those look like the only genuine contenders in the entire country. Um, I mean, Kentucky is like in the top 10 right now. They haven't really shown anything. They they won at Florida on the road. You know, you can play this game all day, but, like, Florida has their – they lost to Tennessee. And, like, is Tennessee actually good? Are they a top-10 team? I don't really think so. Like, but, you know, who is then, right? If USC isn't number seven or six or whatever the hell they're ranked, I haven't looked at the rankings. Um, if they're not number six, then who is? Like it's you got to choose a number four team in the country at some point. Uh, I think it's Clemson right now. Again, I haven't looked at an AP poll in like a couple weeks now, but um, I mean, you have to choose somebody to fill out those top ten and the rest of the rankings for that matter. So, like, I all that's a long-winded way of saying I get why USC and Washington are rated this high, but I think yeah. part of what we're trying to s describe is that they're not good as a top fifteen team is usually. Or at least right. we haven't seen it yet. Um, on that note, man, I still believe Oregon State and Wazoo should be ranked um, for a lot of the same arguments I just made. Like, I think a lot of the teams around the country are being um, overrated in, in that regard. But anyways, um, we've kind of bounced around a lot so far on this preview. Again, there's not a lot of data on Stanford. There's just not a lot that we know about this team. But um, overall... Do you expect this team to make a bowl game? Uh, I know you said you didn't personally, or maybe that was the the general perception you were throwing out there, but 
I'm I'm really seeing a hard path to it at this point for them. Yeah, I don't see I don't see much of a path at all, uh, honestly. And again, especially after EJ Smith went down there running back, that's a huge loss uh, for the rest of the season. And I think it puts games like um, you know, that trip to Notre Dame. I mean, was you know could be an ugly game that they maybe pull out and i think like a lo- uh, loss of ej smith turns that into a really difficult game to win um and i would say you know the oregon state game i mean unless the beeves really are in quit mode after you know if they get roughed up by utah this weekend you'd have to think they're not losing that game uh Stanford doesn't get Colorado. They have Arizona State. That's probably a free win. But I think a lot of these teams are going to be motivated for different reasons. And finding five more wins on this schedule is, I think, is almost impossible. I mean, I would put it at win total over under at uh, three, maybe. Three, and I would probably take the under on that if i had to choose a side which is funny because preseason their win total was four and a half um and i don't think it's i mean even if you're picking the over i don't think it's outlandish to think that they would start one and two so do you think cal and wazoo i think are substantially better teams than stanford right now um, mm-hmm. I mean, especially I think Wazoo's in a whole different tier, but even Cal uh, and the emergence of Jaden Knott, who was a one-time Oregon commit there at running back. He had an insane past, game. He had an insane week, yeah, against Arizona this week. Um, Which, speaking just, of, I think what, Arizona's what, a little bit better than expected, too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that Arizona State game should be a win, but, I mean, after that, like, all the rest of these games, they're going to be... Uh, I mean, this line against Oregon right now, uh, I don't think we've... Have we mentioned it yet? It's it's up no. to 17. It was at 10 yeah. at one point, and I don't know in what book that was. Uh, I, I saw it at, at 13 and a half for a while. Someone had it at 10, and then it shot all the way up to 17 now is where it sits. Um, yeah. I mean, that's a big spread, and uh, I think that they're going to have some big spreads still on the rest of the schedule where they're probably not within a touchdown of anyone except for Cal and obviously favored in the Arizona State game. Mm. I I don't know. Stanford is one of the five teams in all of FBS – who haven't beaten the spread so far this year. Uh, They're 0-3. The other ones, by the way, are Colorado, Nebraska, Auburn, Boston College, and Utah State. So these are kind of who you can consider to be, like, overrated so far throughout this season. Um, I guess Boise State had, had like, a push at one point. But anyways... um, so yeah, I think this is a Vegas. Re- this line is a Vegas reaction to the public reacting to Vegas, underreacting to Stanford. Does that all make sense? Do you follow that? <laughs> um, uh, 
uh, yeah, right now Oregon's minus 800 on the money line. FPI has has us at an 85% chance to win this game. That's ESPN's FPI. Again, man, I, I just feel bad saying anything definitive about this game before it happens because we've seen this movie before. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I will say let's do some, like, narrative forecasting, what we like to do. Say Oregon takes care of business covers against Stanford in this game like we're on a really good trajectory and then we have another like historical trap game against Arizona coming up the weekend after in Tucson um do you feel any different about that Arizona game if Oregon does well obviously you know you have to take into consideration what Arizona does but they're playing Colorado I think it's safe to assume they'll they'll smash them in that game um like, does beating a bad Stanford team give you any different outlook <laughs> for the rest of the season right now? Obviously, losing would, but yeah, uh, I I don't think it changes that much for me. I think um, this is a game that Oregon should win pretty convincingly, right? And if some weird stuff happens and it's close, that will be a little worrying, but. Um, hopefully it's weird stuff and it's not, uh, you know, repeatable things. Uh, um, mm. And I think even Arizona looks, the, the game that they played this past weekend, and we, we can, you know, we'll dive in a little bit to these results that we didn't quite get to hit on uh, the recap episode, but they lost to Cal uh, pretty handily. Um you know, it was competitive at times, but they end up losing that game by 18. And they lost to Mississippi State, who I think is a team, uh, you know, similar-ish to Oregon. Not as good, um, but a pretty strong Power 5 team that, as we're figuring out where exactly everyone falls um, four weeks into the season they're one of the teams that looks like they're in the top 40 ish uh in terms of how good they really are uh and you know even their barely win over north dakota state just reminds me that i think arizona is is still a year or two away from really really scaring people uh, or scaring me at least uh, mm-hmm. in terms of the games they play against the top teams in this conference. Um, so that's where I'm at with that game. And, and in general, I think that the Oregon schedule here, I, I start to think about what this next, all these weeks leading up to, again, that final trio that we've said again and again at the end of the season, how many losses are in there? That's an interesting question to me right now. We kind of operate under the assumption that there's is a fluke loss in these next five is that still how you feel i do and that's why i'm scared about this game um i mean everybody's happy about the win at wazoo but i think in our elation of the result we're kind of ignoring a lot of the problems that emerged in that game um like we mentioned earlier on this pod, I mean, there were times when Oregon struggled to stop Wazoo and Cam Ward didn't even have to make many difficult throws to do it. Um, we saw all those problems on display against Georgia, but the fact that they even emerged a little bit against a conference opponent 
is a big issue. I mean, again, Oregon should have lost that game, I think it's safe to say. Uh, I know we did better on yards per play and things like this, but I mean, in terms of game state, like we had no business being in that game once we went down 12 in the fourth quarter. Um, so that, I mean, it just, in a in the same way last year's team did this, um, Oregon's not really rolling over. I, I Oregon really needs to roll over Stanford to show me that they can win a conference title. Um, we need to be beating the crap out of teams that we are decidedly better than. And these two weeks both pose that opportunity. Now, I mean, if we get through these two games, I'm honestly less scared about dropping another game, like to UCLA at home or Cal or Colorado on the road. Yes, Cal had a good week last week, and yes, they should have beaten Notre Dame. I didn't. I don't know if you saw the ACC refs had to like issue an apology for getting that offside call wrong yeah. that lost Cal that game. Really bad call. Dude, I mean, just straight up non-existent. Um, it's funny how these things tend to happen at, at Notre Dame. But anyways, um, I'm I'm really nervous about these next two games. And nothing, nothing that really happens between now and when both of these games get played can convince me that I should feel otherwise. Um, just because of the historical trouble that we've had against Stanford and against Arizona in the desert. It's, it's that simple. Um, sometimes it feels weird to reduce a matchup to its historical, you know, trends, especially when the teams can be completely different. But I mean, in terms of thinking about a game, that's what fans actually think about, right? Uh, that's what I'm thinking about this week. Yeah. Um, cause again, on paper, there are no reason why we should lose either of these two games, um, or really the, the UCLA Cal or Colorado game as it stands right now. Um, but we'll see. I will say, um, the narrative that Oregon's schedule was easy, that, that somehow emerged in the off season is like really an interesting one. Um, I, maybe I was just listening to certain people or reading certain people who thought that, but I mean, for all the talk about Oregon's schedule being a bunch of cupcakes, I mean, let's take a look at Washington real quick, uh, as we transition into the conference stuff. I mean, they don't play like an opponent. They don't play like a good opponent until right now in UCLA. And even so, they might not be a top half Pac-12 team. Um, I mean, Cal in Week Eight, maybe that's when Washington gets its first real test. If if UCLA is really that bad, um, I don't know. I just think it's kind of funny that the team that dodges USC and U, uh, sorry, USC and Utah from the south is kind of the one that's getting all the praise for being 4-0 against four pretty bad teams. I mean, Michigan State is decidedly bad. Uh, do we agree at this point? Like, They're, they're not good. They're they not got good. smacked by Minnesota, um, who might be good, but, you know, we can't go too far with this transitive thing. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, go ahead. I, uh, yeah, I pulled up some, some of the... Um, numbers from an athletic article in which they they ranked all 131 teams and i think that's really interesting because one you know i have a lot more respect for the athletic and the time that they take <laughs> with their rankings than i do for the ap poll uh and also because it goes past 25 and we get to see like yeah. <laughs> okay some people put the, their thought into this 
where do some of these Pac-12 teams rank, you know, after the cutoff of, of the four that are ranked right now? And then where do some of these opponents rank um, for all the arguments between these fan bases about what wins were actually good and what wins weren't uh, quite as impressive? In terms of the Pac-12 rankings, uh, and you can go p- pull up this tweet. It's you know three or four down on on my uh, profile, but they had a gradient of those first five teams. It goes USC at seven, Oregon at eleventh, Washington at thirteenth, Utah at seventeenth, and Oregon State at twenty second. Uh, then Washington State and UCLA are at thirty fifth and fortieth. Cal and Arizona are at 56th and 60th, and I think that's a good demarcation of competent teams. I mean, those are upper half teams of the FBS, and if you're a Power 5 program and you're competent, you should be in the upper half of of the FBS, I think. Um, Yeah, even top 50, yeah. Yeah, Um, and then Stanford 78th, Arizona State 94th, and Colorado 126th. But in terms of the opponents... (laughs) that these teams have played. They have Michigan State at, at 48th. I think that's interesting. It's right around Fresno State, uh, who's an opponent uh, that the Beavs played a super close road game with uh, and who uh, USC beat pretty well uh, after Hayner went out in the second quarter of that game, I think. Um, so that's interesting to say, you know, those teams are are somewhat equivalent in the athletics eyes and, and whoever wrote this article or, or the collection of people who rank these teams. Um, but obviously in terms of the brand and the fact that Michigan State was 11th going into the game against Washington, we view that result very differently. Uh, and, you know, if Fresno State was ranked 11th or uh, you know, Oregon was play- Oregon State was on the road playing a team like that. Uh, they probably would be ranked right now. Um, you know, but this has Florida is 18 spots higher than Michigan State. Wisconsin seven spots higher. Uh, Notre Dame somewhat uh, questionably is 10 spots higher. I'm not sure that's how I feel about that. Uh, <laughs> but. Regardless, yeah, this Michigan State team is is maybe competent, but they're nowhere near good. Uh, they they shouldn't really sniff the top twenty five rankings for the rest of the year. Um, and yeah, we still have a lot to learn about this this Washington team. Definitely, I mean that was you know a lot of the gist of of the article I wrote about the Washington and UCLA game on Friday this week is that these two teams. haven't played great opponents so far um and that you know despite that a lot of people are putting washington on a pedestal and writing ucla off Uh, and based on what we've watched so far of those teams i think that that's warranted uh to a certain degree you know it's an accurate representation of the fact that washington has looked better and has been more dominant than ucla has but still, the spread of this game is, at the time I wrote the article, three and a half, now down to two and a half. Mm-hmm. And there's some truth to that. Uh, we still, you know, we haven't seen Washington play a road game yet. Um, and UCLA is, 
has flaws. Yeah, it's it's not a vaunted roster. It's not loaded with five-star talent or anything, but they still have a really experienced, dynamic quarterback, arguably the best running back or, you know, in the in the top tier of running backs in this conference and Jack Zach Charbonnet. Uh, and, you know, some other pieces that make this team decent under Chip Kelly's leadership right now. Is the future of Chip Kelly's tenure good? No. Uh, you know, is in general, there is there a lot more reason for optimism amongst Washington fans uh, than UCLA fans? Yes. But I think that we get confused about the fact that we see a team with a trajectory pointing up, you know, and we see another with a trajectory pointing down. And we just assume that the team, you know, pointing up is the better team. But still along those paths, you know, they're meeting right now at a certain point in time. Uh, And I think that where the teams are at, even though one's ascending and one's declining, is actually pretty close. And, you know, the point spread bears that out. Uh, I'd still take Washington uh, to win this game. I'd still probably take them to win by a lot, but I'm excited to see it. Uh, and I don't think it's a certainty by any degree, um, especially that they're going to be able to uh, consistently get stops against UCLA on Friday. You talked about the per- perception of both of these teams and how they, they seem to be going in different directions. I would I would like to point one small fact out uh, regarding these two four and O teams. UCLA has played I think every single game on the Pac-12 network thus far. Washington we didn't hear anything about for the first two weeks. They were playing Kent State and Portland State, and all of a sudden they play Michigan State and Stanford both on national TV, and all of a sudden everybody's talking about Washington. Um, obviously different circumstances within those games as well, but I mean, most AP voters and I'm willing to wager most college football fans don't know the nuances between each of those performances or the difference between either of these teams at this rate. Um, so I think perception is something that we often overlook when, when talking about teams. So, um, I do agree with you though. And every other point you made about this game, uh, so let's should we tie up Stanford stuff and then move on to picks for this week? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Uh, I mean, All right, give top. me give me a score prediction for Stanford. I'll go I, I'm just going to put it out there because I think this is what the game should be. Uh but I will say just as a preface, I think this game will tell us a lot about how Oregon is going to handle not so good opponents and there's a few of those coming up whether they're gonna take care of business put games away early or kind of play with their food we haven't really had those matchups yet you know i i don't think it's fair to characterize wazoo as a playing with your food type of game i think wazoo is actually really good they have one of the best defenses in the conference um and they gave oregon a pretty good shot you know oregon had struggles in that game of course too but uh, that was a game that a, a win was you know, should have been all we wanted going into it for the most part, I think, uh, especially on the road there. This is a game that that's not the case in. You know, an ugly win is a huge sign for concern for Oregon. Um, but I don't really buy that the Stanford team's that good. Just the fact that they haven't won a game uh, – 
against an FBS opponent in so long. Um, and, you know, the fact that Oregon has been really successful in these past three games, especially offensively. I think the Ducks win 42-17. Okay. Okay. Oh, man. I I could see this game ending in pretty much any array of scores, uh, ranging from Oregon blowing Stanford out to Oregon narrowly losing, because that's just what happens sometimes against Stanford. Um, but I'll I'll go with the happier choice, um, and I'll say fifty to fourteen Oregon, uh, because honestly that's what should happen. <laughs> um, all right, man. Now that our outlandish, or at least one of our outlandish picks, uh, are out of the way, let's talk about this conference slate. And as we go, we can kind of chat about last weekend's results as well. Um, let's start with Washington UCLA because we were already discussing it. I'm assuming you're you're taking UW against that three and uh, two and a half point spread. Yeah, I'll take UW there. I have a hard time not picking them as well. I would like to add all the caveats that we have discussed already in that. You know, we don't know if either of these teams are actually legit. Um, I'll take Washington, even though it, I I could see UCLA. It would not surprise me if UCLA won this game. Um, all right, man. Beavers on the road at Utah. Uh, Utah are 10-point favorites in this game, coming off their win against ASU. Beavs obviously cooped it against USC. Um, is this worthy of a double-digit spread? Some people think Utah is really good, and I'm still not convinced personally. Uh, that Florida game it looms for me. I, I don't think Florida is a bad team, and coming directly out of it, I think I was one of the people who maybe excused that loss uh, for for Utah a little more than most. But they just lost Keithy, uh, it sounds like, for the season who's their Mm -hmm. star tight end. That's a huge loss. Uh, You know, a really tough thing to see. Uh, But obviously, you know, in the perspective of the conference, it transforms the type of team that they are. That that system relies on tight ends heavily. Um, They lost uh, Fotheringham from last year already. Uh, Now down Keithy. So I think Kincaid is is kind of the last man Mm -hmm. standing there. Yeah. which some Utah fans have been saying Dalton Kincaid might actually be better than Keithy. I don't really know where they get that from because yeah. I don't follow Utah that closely, but just worth mentioning. Yeah, I, that stuff kind of drives me crazy, uh, to be honest. <laughs> um, I mean, he's you know he's good. Dalton Kincaid is really good, right? But I mean, people saying that the offense is going to be more balanced now. Uh, without Keithy and uh, this and that and uh, you know I mean there are probably people who have more diligently watched every snap of Utah this season than I have Uh, so I'll admit that but at the same time I don't see a team that's loaded with talent to the extent that losing a guy like that uh, is going to help you out Um, you know is Mm -hmm. Kincaid capable yeah but we already talked about, you know, the loss of Covey from last season being a potentially crippling loss for, for Utah's offense. 
And yeah. a lot of the way that they were trying to mitigate him, mitigate that loss was to use Keithy in, in some similar roles. Um, and so now, you know, going into this season, I think like who, who else is there? Uh, Vele is one of their receivers uh, who looks, you know, who's, who's certainly capable. Um, and, you know, Tavion Thomas as a running back is solid uh for sure but uh, you know cam risings looked like he's maybe taking a step back this year uh all that to say is i'm i'm not totally sold on utah but some of the numbers you know suggest and and betting models and power rankings i've seen pates for instance and i've seen a few others uh has utah as a top 10 team top uh eight even i think Hmm. um definitely surprising for me in the style of, you know, I don't do power ratings. I don't have a model or anything. I am someone who likes to go by rankings and look at results and how teams are have played and what ranking they've earned based on that. And, you know, the results they've shown not really forward predict uh, how good of a team they are on a neutral field per se. Uh, and based on that, I, I you know, to me, it's like Utah's played one good team. That, that was Florida, uh, and they're not even really good. They're maybe 30 to 40th in the country. Uh, other than that, they played a lot of really bad teams. Arizona State is bad. Uh, Southern Utah, obviously, is you know even really bad for an FCS team. And San Diego State isn't very good this year at all either. Um, so... That leaves me with feeling like, uh, why wouldn't this game be close? Uh, but on the other side of that, I think, you know, the Beavs struggled on the road last year. And right now, there isn't a better road environment than Utah's in this conference. Uh, it makes yeah. me that much more excited for that USC-Utah matchup two weeks down the road uh, in Rice-Eccles. Uh, because, obviously, USC was you know, affected by a half stadium of Reeser uh, on last Saturday. So all that is to say I'm really struggling with where to go on this game, but I think I'm just going to bet on the Beavs uh, keeping this close because I think they're more of a known commodity uh, and uh, it's a big enough line that I think there's, there's enough ways for them to you know, to cover. Yeah, man, you had me going back and forth and back and forth. <laughs> You're making a lot of good points. I I literally wrote down Utah on the spreadsheet and then I changed it to Oregon State and I changed it back to Utah <laughs> towards the end. Um, I think I'm just going to roll with Utah and I'm, I'm, I'm going to make all my picks this week based on uh, stadium vibes. So... Midday game, it's 2 o'clock kick. That means 3 o'clock mountain time. It's on the Pac-12 network, so it'll be invisible. I think, I think this is where... I think yeah. you got that uh, on Eastern time, actually. I think it's an 11 a.m. Oh, kick. Uh, oh, so, gross. So noon uh, mountain time. Okay, well, either way, I'm still going to pick Utah to cover just because I think the Beavers die a sad and quiet death um, in terms of national perception. On the Pac-12 network. I don't think anyone around the country will be watching this game, unfortunately, because it's going to be a really good game. 
Um, but yeah, man, I mean, I, I'm, I'm very excited to start my day with that, you know, to be yeah. like, usually that morning slate, I'm kind of don't have a game. I love it's some random, you know, game in, in another conference that has some implications, but I'm not that invested in this one. I, I'm going to be really, uh, glued to the TV for, for Oregon state, Utah. And I mean, real quick, I don't want to go over the entire national sl- slate right now, but there are the only like decent game in the morning this week is Michigan at Iowa. And by decent, I do not mean entertaining. It is going to be a disgusting game because <laughs> Iowa's disgusting program that should not be allowed to play football anymore. Um, Iowa, the death penalty. <laughs> dude, on it, like there, I don't know if any of our listeners have watched Iowa so far this year. Don't do it. I'm telling you, you will gouge out your eyeballs in pain. It is so hard to watch. Um, they're not doing anything like unethical. It's just like disgustingly bad offense <laughs> to the point where you just don't want to watch it. Um, so I'll, oh, that is I'll, unethical. I'll I'll take Utah. <laughs> Screw it. <laughs> it it really is. To the point. It's quite. Um, there's a lot of nepotism going on, so you can consider that unethical, I guess. Um, but yeah. Um, another th- matchup of three and one teams, uh, Cal visits Wazoo, who are just a, am I reading this right? Did I make a typo? A four point favorite at home against Cal? That's right. What Cal- the hell? It, is Cal good? That's the question right now. Um, um I don't think so. <laughs> I, I really don't think so. Well, and let's break this down. I mean, why would people think Cal is good? Because uh, they I, I'm, ran all over Arizona? I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that. And I think in, the elephant in the room here, you know, is that gold ND uh, in South Bend. Like, yeah, that's a huge brand to play a one possession game with. Uh, and Cal, you know, and Notre Dame... Uh, Responded with a win at North Carolina this week, which is surprising, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, surprising is an accurate word for that. Uh, UNC was favored by two and a half in that game. So maybe they're getting some things together here. Um, but I think that Notre Dame, Cal caught Notre Dame at a certain point uh, where Notre Dame was not very good. Whether they evolve into a better team going forward, we'll see. Uh, but regardless, you know, my impression of that, the team that Cal competed with to an extent, uh, you know, that day, uh, is going to be set as, as a not very good Notre Dame team on that day. Uh, and Arizona's, Arizona's a little better. Uh, I don't think Cal's bad. I, I think Cal credit to them. They've got three wins. They've got a chance to go bowling. You know, they should beat Colorado coming up. Um, and they'll have to pull, you know, they should beat Stanford and they'll have to find one more at some point in this year, um, which I think they definitely can do. But I'm not convinced that this it's this Washington State game. I was really impressed with the way that Washington State handled the Oregon game, um, just how well they showed up for it. I, I'm a Dickert believer right now, honestly. So uh, I'll I'll pick Washington State to, you know, bounce back from the Oregon game and cover this spread. Uh, I'll I'll go with the Cougs. 
I'm also going with the Cougs, but I want to highlight uh, a really interesting matchup in this game, and it's going to be Jaden Ott versus that Wazoo defense. Absolutely. Interestingly enough, the the advanced numbers from the entire season say Wazoo is like very good against the run. I do not think that bore itself out against Oregon outside the 10-yard line. Um, I thought they really, really struggled to contain Whittington and um, and Bucky Irving. And I think Jaden Ott is good enough to do what, what those guys did. The only question, though, is does Wazoo commit? I think they can afford to commit more to stopping the run because Bo Nix is certainly a quarterback, better quarterback than Jack Plummer, and Oregon certainly has better wideouts than Cal. Um, so th- in that sense, I, I would, I'm interested to see that matchup. I can. I think they can afford to commit more to the run, and I think that, I mean, obviously, Cal's offensive line is going to be a lot worse in run blocking than Oregon's was. Yeah, that's uh, true. And, and in that respect, I think, like, that opens up for the matchup to be even more advantageous for Wazoo because where they struggle against Oregon is, you know, physically just the sheer size of the humans that they're trotting out in their front seven <laughs> versus the guys blocking them. But... In terms of speed, they're a tr- you know tremendously fast linebacking core. We saw that on the edges in the red zone against Oregon, and I think that makes them uh, a, a very you know good matchup potentially for being able to contain Jaden Ott uh, at least enough to to win and cover this game. Yeah, I agree. I I think this spread should be more like fourteen than four. I think that's kind of interesting. But anyways. Um... Colorado at Arizona. Arizona are 17.5-point favorites. This game, I hope it's on the Pac-12 network because nobody should be forced to watch it. Yeah, it's going to be at 6.30 on the Pac-12 network. Um, Tell me why Arizona covers, because Arizona will be covering. Because everyone's covered Colorado this year. I think it's that simple. Uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm going with Arizona. That uh, is that getting them over their preseason win total of two and a half? It is would. That, that it is would correct? indeed. Yes, the two and a half that I foolishly and shamelessly took the under on. And they have a they have a string of four straight uh, top fifteen games after this. They go Oregon at Washington, USC at home, at Utah, and at hmm. UCLA, and then to Washington State. Dude, picking so, the under on the season total for this. Arizona is like that's got to be one of the worst picks of my entire life. <laughs> well, I, it's up there. No, I I mean, look though, if if they hadn't survived that North Dakota State game, um, they're you know if they had one win right now, the Colorado win you know should happen, of course, but then they're going to be dogs in in all these games except for Arizona State. San Diego State game too. Going into it, we didn't uh, we didn't know. Uh, let me true. check the line on that. I mean, it was what was it? Aztecs it was were favored six, by a touchdown. By six, yeah. yeah, yeah, by six. That's you know, but I, I hear you. Um, all right, man. So we're both picking Arizona there. I, I think it's safe to yeah. say. Um, last game, probably the hardest to predict. Don't tell me this game is on national TV. Oh my God, Arizona State. Visiting the Coliseum in USC, USC are 25 and a half point favorites in this game, and it is on ESPN, <laughs> dear God. Um, a lot of Oregon fans will be ignoring it for understandable reasons, 
Um, I would still just ignore this game in general because it is not going to be close. The question is, will it be 20 points close or 20 points not close or 30 points not close? Um, does USC get their bounce back win after struggling against Oregon State? Or is Arizona State plucky enough to to make USC work for it? Um, I don't know, but I'm picking the Trojans in this game. I, even against the spread, I... Yeah, Arizona State is a dead team right now. It's a fun game, uh, a fun line, I guess, more than anything. I'll go with yeah. Arizona State. Uh, at 25 and a half, I think either pick's reasonable. It's it's just either going to be one of those games where it's a slow start and teams have to play a little more cautious or it's going to um, get out of hand. And even if it does, maybe there's a backdoor possibility. Uh, 20, I mean, 25 and a half is just a big line, obviously. It is, uh, it is. I'll go with the Arizona State to cover it, but I think you're pretty much a degenerate if you're betting on this game. <laughs> yeah, um, that that is safe to say for sure. Um, God, man, that Arizona State game, I had it on a third screen. I had a nice little three-screen Pac-12 action going on uh, last Saturday evening um, with the Oregon State-USC game the wa the Washington Stanford game and then that uh, Utah Arizona State game that one was the one the the latter was the one I was paying to a, the least amount of attention to because um, every time I looked over it just seemed like Utah were not surrendering anything really um, I mean I'm sure it was a little more back and forth than that but Arizona State had six rush yards in that game six. Um, so, yeah, there's not a lot of reason to be optimistic about the Sun Devils right now. Um, before we before we move on, uh, let's just hit that uh, Oregon State-USC game real quick. I want to hear what your thoughts were on that one. Dude, I, that was a heartbreaking game, honestly. I've never rooted for the Beavers so hard in my life in any game. Um, and they really deserve to win that one, man. I mean... USC cannot keep getting away. He can't keep getting away with this. <laughs> they can't keep getting away with this kind of turnover luck, bro. It is, it's painful to see people not understand that getting four turnovers in a game is a large statistical anomaly. And the fact that it's happened three times now for them, four times, is absolutely insane. Um, I don't think they have a giveaway all year and they're like plus 14 in turnover margin. So that's just not sustainable. Like, I think USC are fraudulent. I think it's going to be to the detriment of the entire, like, Pac-12 conference perception. Um, of course, I'm saying this right after I picked them to cover a 25.5-point spread. But, um, I mean, I feel really good for the Beavers. But I'm really, more than anything, I was sad watching this game. I was sad that it was on the Pac-12 network. I was sad that people around the country weren't watching it. And I was sad about the outcome because um, the Beavers did what they needed to do for like three and three quarters. Quarters. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, the Beavs, I think my perception was just they made this game a lot harder on themselves than they needed yeah. to. Yeah. I think the offense felt so much pressure to keep up with USC. And then the game started and all of a sudden they were like oh my god we you know we have an opportunity to take a lead here like we could go up by two scores here um and 
then the interceptions came and then it was this game just got deep into it and neither offense had really done much yet uh and I think that there was just a lot of hesitancy on both sides and that's when the turnovers came for Oregon State uh and huge credit to them that when you know when it had to happen they they throw that one interception um to set to set usc backed up against their goal line uh and then there's the punt that i don't know exactly what happened if it hit someone or but it was a super short punt oregon state gets set up set up 22 yards away and finally punches it in takes the lead with four minutes left and that final finally got USC to respond and come back alive uh, and win that. Um, and credit them on that last drive for sure. But if you're Oregon State, you just, especially on offense, you just have to say like, oh my God, if we knew that we were going into this game and only giving up 17 points, like, oh, that was just such a golden opportunity for the mm-hmm. offense to really step on on the USC throats and control this game. The other interesting moment in this game, and I don't know if you were watching as closely at this point, but uh, when Travis Dye coughed up the ball on <laughs> the U- on the um, USC goal line, and you know it could have been recovered for a touchdown, or if it got poked back two yards, it was going to be a safety at least at a game where points were a premium. That was uh, that was a pretty funny moment for sure for yeah. all the Oregon fans who have you know lectured him about wearing gloves. I was definitely rooting for uh, an Oregon State recovery in that moment. Yeah, me too. Um, Die was a worse rusher than Caleb Williams in that game, according to EPA per play. Um, God, and- he just Caleb Williams looked exactly like Cam Ward did, just always finding a way to escape. Uh, defensive yeah, lineman right in the area it's just a frustrating game to watch all around um i think the beavers win that game six or seven times out of ten if it's on their home field with that kind of atmosphere uh yeah, so, so to see them blow it like that was really really disappointing so the the postgame win expectancy according to cfb data was just 13 percent for usc so you know, Jesus. it was even more. Um, oh my god! Dramatic than that in their interpretation, and the rest of the games from the weekend weren't very close. Uh, even the Oregon game was ninety-three percent post-game for the Ducks, uh, which was an interesting statistic. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, for people curious, that's a lot less. That stat factors a lot less in game state and things like they were trailing by twelve points with five minutes left, and more so yardage per play uh epa and stuff yeah Mm -hmm. so poor beeves they lose um whatever it's the story of their program really um i don't know i want osu to be good again so i can root against them again you know uh it feels kind of weird rooting for them so often but they are a very very likable program right now um and i they did deserve to win that game so it's really a shame that they blew it um any other observations you had from these other games? I guess we talked about a few of them, but there weren't a ton of great competitive games in the Pac-12 this weekend, other outside of the Northwest, that is. Yeah, I mean, I guess was let me let me look back at the national slate and see if there's anything that really is worth talking about. Um, Clemson survived. Kansas State got them. the win over Oklahoma. 
That yeah. Uh, yeah. that gave Tulane the long-sought transitive win over Oklahoma after almost getting the real win last season. Although um, they so, did get the real life L in yeah. Southern Miss. That was, that was deeply unfortunate. Uh, <laughs> still received votes in the AP poll, though. Hey, we love to see it. For, based on some people who I'm assuming, I'm assuming um, what they received three votes, uh, and that could be someone ranking them 23rd, you know, or one person 24th, <laughs> one 25th. I'm assuming however many people ranked them saw the Kansas State result, ranked Kansas State, and felt they had to rank Tulane without <laughs> looking at what had happened with Tulane that weekend. What a what a messed um, up sport we we watch, man. Like, yeah, absolutely. This, this is how rankings happen? Are you kidding me? It's embarrassing. Um, all right, let, let's talk about the national slate this week a little bit before we get out of here. Um I mentioned the the opening window is not very good, but there are a couple intriguing matchups I'm looking at throughout the country. Um, if you're somebody who can turn on a random SEC game and enjoy it, uh, Kentucky Ole Miss is a somewhat decent early one. Alabama yeah. and Arkansas, I'm not really sweating at all, but LSU at Auburn is just kind of fun as like a narrative game. Um, two fan bases that are just batshit crazy all the time. Um I don't know. Any, any, what are you looking at around the country this week? I actually like this morning slate more than you. Uh, I think the Michigan Iowa game, you know, won't be on my first slate, my first screen. But Ole Miss being seven point favorites against, uh, you know, quote unquote number seven Kentucky. And again, this isn't, you know, I think you put it better than I did, and that that's not me saying like scolding anyone who happens to place Kentucky at seventh because I don't think we have a real team that, you know, I could place at seventh and and say like, this is a seventh best team in the country. Woohoo. Like that doesn't really (laughs) exist. Like I think that they're all kind of going to be fraudulent, whoever you give that ranking. Um, But it's another, you know, chance for an upset there. Oklahoma fell all the way to 18th and now they're only six and a half point favorites heading to TCU this weekend, um, a chance to really uh, almost eliminate playoff chances for the Big 12, which is a conference that had, uh, you know, that that is pretty good this year, actually, has had a lot of, yeah, I mean, you know. A couple I mean, weeks ago, still... Texas thought they were going to the playoff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, you take Texas and Oklahoma out, and all of a sudden, it's Oklahoma State who has a really big game at Baylor this weekend. Uh, you know, the winner of that game uh, looks like kind of the last hope-ish uh, for mm-hmm. the Big 12, probably. Uh, even though, again, it's a good conference. And all of a sudden, the playoff race starts to open up. Um, I will say, Oklahoma being just six-point favorites at TCU, that's... That's an opportunity to win free money, is what it is. Um, I I don't feel I don't feel nervous about saying that. Um, NC State at Clemson, I'm really interested in. Uh, nice little primer if you're like in the mood to watch some football before the Oregon game. That one's 4:30 on ABC. Uh, do you know where is game day at that game this week? Where is game day? Yeah, yeah, they're at that game. It's at Clemson. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Clemson, I don't know if you watched last weekend, but obviously survived a oh, double yeah. overtime game. That was 
yeah, uh, interesting game to watch, definitely. Uh, I know Texas A&M being a four-point underdog to Mississippi State probably lends some credence to the idea that you know teams like Washington State and Oregon State should be ranked above them, uh, and, and I'm in that camp as well. Otherwise, I think that's mostly uh, the slate we have for this weekend, right? Dude, come on. Iowa State at Kansas, bro. How you Iowa State, I love it. That's true. <laughs> you know you know whose fault it is? Whose fault yes, is it? ESPN has the top 25 tab for college football games. I'm, <laughs> I'm looking through the ranked games, and oh, Kansas man. isn't there. If Kansas was there. For the love of God, as they should please be. stop. Yeah. I don't know who the hell invented the concept of a top 25 as opposed to a top like 50 or all of the teams, but it is just atrocious, man. The way that it sways public perception is so terrible. Like I'll still have like, you know, casual or not even football fans like ask me about stuff and they're like, Oh, who are we playing this week? Oh, okay. Are they ranked? Like Wazoo was a perfect example. Oh, are they ranked? Like, no, but, they're still good, and they're like, well, they're not ranked. They must not be good. And it's like, come on, you guys. You... <laughs> oh, man. Anyways, I won't, I'll try not to explode for the rest of this episode, but um, any any other games that catch your eye at all? Uh, Purdue, no, Minnesota I'm, doesn't I'm, interest I'm an honorary. <laughs> I'm definitely on the Kansas bandwagon, too, though. I'm a, oh, I'm a Kansas yeah. to win the Big 12 proponent for sure. Uh, got another be. great weekend to watch a lot of Pac-12 football. So come join us. Come join the discussion. Um, all right, man. Anything else you want to throw out there before we take off? That's that's all that uh, I, again, would really appreciate anyone who goes uh, and checks out my Substack. stack. Uh, you know, it's fun writing there, and, and we'll see how that thing grows over the rest of the season and uh, so on. But, yeah, I really appreciate anyone who checks that out. Yeah, man, you got me really excited uh, about this game, and it's a shame I have to wait two more days now to until it actually <laughs> happens. But um, thank you again for listening to the pod. Rate us five stars if you feel like it. Um, and thanks. Go Ducks. Go Ducks.